Welcome to My SoCast Life, the show where we read our real-life diaries while re-watching that diary of our souls, My So-Called Life. And welcome to Resolutions. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. You'll be hearing this episode at the beginning of September, but in our hearts, it's New Year's Day. Absolutely. Do we have any uh, resolutions with this? I'm springing this on you. <laughs> Do we have any resolutions going into this episode? I hadn't thought about it. Um, Do uh, awesome podcasting. Yeah, more yeah. awesome podcasts. More awesome. Even though we <laughs> only right. have four episodes to go in this particular yeah. podcast. This was weird. So I put in the last DVD because I have the show on DVD. Of course. Um, and it, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's the last this one. This is actually it. I forget how quickly it all collapses after Christmas on My So-Called Life. Yeah, it's Have true. we introduced ourselves? I'm, I'm Matt Brown. Uh, I'm Kat. There you go. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. So My SoCast Life is the podcast where we are going through every single episode of My So-Called Life. And the uh, episode today is Resolutions, which is the New Year's episode. You don't see a lot of New Year's episodes on TV. Like Christmas special episodes, sure, dime a dozen. Yeah, Halloween, but New Year's? But New Year's episode unusual now i mean new year's is only the very start of the episode True. but here's as far as i am concerned there are uh there are three episodes of my so-called life that do not have an angela chase uh, leading voiceover and this is one of them it's not one that gets mentioned very often but basically the entire cast and a few of the supporting characters get a voiceover right at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, where everyone, everyone, you know, so you kind of get to your little flavor of what it would be like to have like a Graham episode. And oh my God, do I wish we had eventually, if the show had lasted, we would have gotten like a Graham episode or a Mr. Katimsky episode for that matter, who also yeah. gets voiceover here. <laughs> um, I love that he's just like, I'm going to give up coffee. Yeah. And he puts down his cup and he's done. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, that was easy. And I, and I was watching, I mean, obviously they play his problem with coffee addiction through the whole episode. And it, it's a little over the top. But then I'm also like, this man was drinking coffee at midnight. Yeah. He was clearly <laughs> digesting a lot of coffee, a lot of coffee before he decided to make this change um i also i think this was the first time i noticed though that the voiceover at the beginning the resolution voiceovers that's actually the only voiceover in the show we don't yeah. get back to angela at any point it's just we get you know 15 people all at once and then and it's then, over and then it's over and that's that which is uh which is odd um and cool especially after last week we had no voiceover at all with uh with christmas um so should we go over what everybody yeah. We learn a bit about our people we, with, we with do. what, what I they I love all. Angela's so much. Yeah. So Angela's, uh, right off the top, is that she should be less introspective. Um, Which is something I thought a lot when I was in high school, sure. too, that I should be less introspective. Yeah. And then I would, like Angela, change my mind. Yeah, get all caught because up. Because I thought about it too much. On whether or not you are being too introspective <laughs> by thinking about being introspective. It's a, it's a, it's amazing how quickly those neurotic thought processes take root. Where oh, yeah. You're not only thinking too much, but then you start thinking about how you're thinking too much and, and then thinking about that. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's really terrible. Um, meanwhile, Sharon, and we'll discuss this uh in some detail as we go on, Sharon is having a quandary about uh, her her sexual relationship with her ex boyfriend Kyle, because as we come in on on sexual on, on sexual Sharon, <laughs> as we come in on Sharon and Kyle, uh, they have apparently just uh, done it on the couch, waiting for the ball to drop, as it were, as it were. <laughs> and Sharon is like, "I'm never going to have sex with Kyle again," and Kyle's like. <laughs> I want to have, spend more time with the dog. Also, Sharon. Sharon. Yeah. And one wonders about his relationship with that dog. <laughs> Kyle is a simple person. He is. He's a simple with person. simple desires. He is. And he's going to go, he's got, a, uh, he's got 
you know, he's got a journey in this episode, our Kyle does, and I feel badly for him as a result because he's he's flowering as an emotional person to whatever limited degree he is capable of that. It's true. And uh, and it's, uh, yeah. He loves Sharon very much. Very much, yeah. Mm. So, like you said, Mr. Katinsky's going to give up coffee. Brian, very much like Angela, has resolved to stop obsessing about Angela. Um, Danielle wants to badger her mother into letting her wear makeup and uses that word to badger mom into letting me wear How makeup. How old is Danielle at this point? She's like... I, I've never been able to figure that out because Lisa Wilhoyt's age changes so dramatically as we go through the show. So I think Danielle is still supposed to be 10. Right. But Lisa Wilhoyt's obviously, you know, 12 Not, yeah. going on 13 at this point, I think. Yeah, I don't, I, because I, I, I was watching it and I was trying to remember when I started wearing makeup as a young teen and I don't think that I started until I was in high school. Like mm-hmm. I think grade nine was. Before that, I had like tinted lip balms, that kind of thing. Huh. And a little bit, I think I had some of my mom's old blushes that I, that I wore as like pink and orange eyeshadow. Um, but I didn't have my own makeup until I was in high school. Interesting. And my mom really never wore makeup. So she just had like a few random things around the house. Probably if my mom had been a regular makeup wearer, I would have been interested in it more mm-hmm. like at a younger age. But she wasn't. And so I, I just never thought about it. Gotcha. But then by the time I was in high school, it was like, you know, it was time thing. to step up my game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So Ricky, who is really the heart of the episode... Right in the middle of, not at the end, which would be more dramatically uh, significant, but right in the middle is like, I want to find someplace that I really fit. Yeah. Which is really sad. And then, because that wasn't sad enough, Rayanne, I want to stop drinking, but this time really stop. So it's like, oh, you poor, you guys are not good. And. I'm I, maybe because I'm dumb, and I've 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 confessed on this uh, on this show in the past that I'm I've always been sort of patently naive about Patty and Graham's relationship when it comes to adultery. Um, but Patty, her resolution is to basically be less suspicious of Graham. So it took me a while in this episode to realize that basically she thinks that he's cheating on her. Right at the end of the episode, when she's about to flip out at him, that's when I was like, oh, that's what she's been so worried about this whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Which she would have ample reason to worry about that, given what we know about their relationship. But it didn't twig for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, you know, how long has Graham perhaps nearly cheated on Patty or or maybe has cheated on Patty in the past. We don't really know the whole history. We know that there was that woman at the beginning of the show, but who knows? There may have been other women before her. And I've wondered that many times, but I had never actually wondered whether Patty was aware of it on some level, because I think it's difficult, even if you don't really know what's going on, I think that it is genuinely difficult to be in a relationship with someone who is actively cheating on you on a regular basis without having some feeling about it like without yeah. having some whether you suspicion, even knew it, whether yeah. you know what you what like some feeling of discomfort or some feeling of suspicion is gonna be there even if you don't really know what's actually going on like i i feel like if you've known someone for decades and like you're mm-hmm. gonna sense small differences in their behavior the way that people do when they're around each other all the time. Yeah. Even if you're not 100% sure what the cause is, like you'll know. So it was interesting to me that in this this episode was the first time that I thought like, oh yeah, to what extent is Patty aware that he has cheated on her or even if he hasn't, that he's gotten close? Like yeah. are her suspicions based on, 
you know, is she just a suspicious person or has she actually like noticed these things? Yeah, in you know, him? and is she just like you said? There, if you're, I would feel like if uh, if you are still invested in your marriage, yeah. And God knows there are probably plenty of marriages out there where that is not true, and they would not have those feelers out that would suggest that there was something you know different Wrong about the different, tone. Yeah. But yeah, I, I you know from just relationships in my own life. I definitely am familiar with that sense of like getting the bad feeling, having no really reason to have the bad feeling, but being but unable to, to dismiss it at the same time. Totally. Me too. Yeah. 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 You could just kind of sense that something is off. Yeah. So yeah. So clearly Patty senses that something is off. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't, like her resolution isn't like, I'm going to talk to Graham. Yeah. Her resolution is I'm going to stop being suspicious, which is interesting because t- she's, it's like she's trying to convince herself that she's wrong. Yeah. And it is interesting. So Graham's resolution at the same time is that he's going to tell Hallie that he's not going to do the restaurant with her. And then he's also, he admits to himself, I also want to stop having the long conversations with her after class. Yeah. So based on what we know about the woman from the beginning of the season, that is basically where how that all happened too, is he would start having these really long late night talks with this person. I mean, I guess, you know, something that we might want to ask here is, does does Graham have no real ability to have like enthralling conversations with Patty? Like, is that not part of their relationship? Because that seems to be the first line of offense when he meets another woman is that he's having these enthralling conversations with them. Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe, I mean, you know, perhaps just because of the passage of time, their conversations are not as exciting as they were, you know, as they are with a sure. new person because whatever the, the mundane realities of everyday life kind of trample your, you know, thrilling conversations perhaps but i also feel like maybe patty is just a different kind of person she's relatively sort of practical and not as i don't know like pie in the sky dreamy as yeah. as he is sometimes and i feel like the kinds of conversations that he can have with someone like hallie lowenthal are probably a, of a different type than what he has even in the best of times with patty and maybe that's just a, a something that he needs that he's not getting from Patty and that doesn't necessarily have to lead to adultery, but mm-hmm. is just like a, a gram need that is not being met at home. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So, you know, finally the ball drops, we do this wild, you know, swoop montage across everybody as we count down from 10. Yep. And, uh, there's a cutest little kiss from, uh, the trio. They all kiss each other. Adorable. Yeah. Did, were you, did you have kissing friends when you were, cause my friends, we all hugged when, we were in high school. We didn't. We weren't much for the kiss on the cheek kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering, but t- I don't think we were kissy friends. No, I think it was most hugs for sure. Mm-hmm. Hugs were like a mandatory, basically. But yeah, I don't think mandatory. You are out of the group if you don't. <laughs> if hug you don't me hug, right now. it's over. Yeah, <laughs> go home. Yeah. Uh, so Ricky lives at the chases now, uh, following on from from last week and by all accounts he's their best child yeah the best child in the house and he does all the dishes and rearranges the magazine rack and so on and so forth um and then in the traditional plot mover of the second half of my so-called life ricky overhears something and misunderstands overhears half of something and then uh takes it the wrong way and even though the chases actually love him and think he's wonderful they were worried about his future because obviously he can't stay with them literally for the rest of his you know teenage life yeah but he only hears the part where they're like, he can't stay here forever, and and foolishly decides to leave. Out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I do. I guess I understand it of Ricky in this episode, which is that he is 
um, he's embarrassed. Like he's naturally embarrassed about his situation and it's obviously a very sensitive subject for him. Mm -hmm. And I, he also does admit later on that he doesn't really, I mean, he, what he says is that he, when he's with them, because they are so perfect and they're, well, what he calls perfect and their you know, domestic household, he does, it makes him feel lonelier. I think what he's getting at there is that it also probably makes him feel more like an outsider because his, you know, his identity and his values are so very different from traditional middle-class white heterosexual chases. Yeah. Um, and, but, but even so, that is not a good reason but to even sleep so, in the streets. Yeah. Like he, the, one of the things that I find just inherently, I, I find it frustrating about this episode is that in a lot of ways, it just is a complete do-over of the previous episode with Ricky ending up at a different family as uh, a foster child. You know, like he basically, I mean, he doesn't get thrown out, obviously, or he doesn't face physical violence that forces him to leave the house. Yeah. But, you know, he basically puts himself intentionally right back in the same position uh, and and just like last week starts lying to everybody about what's going on, which again, I, I'm completely sensitive to the fact that this would be horribly difficult to deal with and very embarrassing and he wouldn't know exactly what to do. But you'd think like you know, eight days have gone by since he was freezing on the street in the snow, you'd think he wouldn't voluntarily put himself back in that situation. Like, he doesn't even call his aunt and uncle until a day after he leaves the Chase's house. Yeah. You know? And you, and you got to believe that he doesn't actually want to go back to them, but perhaps after another night sleeping who knows where. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems better than sleeping literally in an alleyway or, or whatever, so... He calls them and then realizes that they, they've taken off on him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just leaving the chases seems like a rash move. Yeah. And you kind of wonder, um, not this, you know, I don't want this uh, podcast or this particular podcast episode to be, let's just criticize the decisions of all the characters. But you have to wonder what Patty and Graham's plan was, right? Like yeah. they haven't taken, I mean, Kachimsky his first move is to go to the guidance counselor and basically try to start the engine of social services to help Ricky. And it's like, none of the chases came up with this. This isn't that difficult to figure out. Like this is, there are plenty of easy ways to solve these problems that don't involve just doing nothing until, <laughs> until the crisis boils over, yeah. you know, which also doesn't even seem particularly like Patty and Graham to do nothing until the crisis boils over. Cause Patty's an anxious person. She would totally get in on this. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, at, at school we're, uh, reading the, the Odyssey and Katemski has been off coffee for 12 hours and loses his damn mind in front of the class um, he asks, what does Odysseus want? No one gets to answer. He does call on Ricky to answer. The obvious answer is, I want to go home. Uh, yeah. Ricky doesn't get to say those words out, out loud, but it does begin to weave this idea that, you know, he doesn't feel there is no home for him. And that's probably what's causing all of this weird behavior. This moment in the show reminds me of my number one, not very serious pet peeve about <laughs> okay. all shows and all movies that take place in a school context. Yeah. And that is teachers' total lack of awareness that class is over. Oh, yeah. One of the great all-time tropes of high school television, the fact that the bell can surprise anybody. Yeah. I've never been in a class that didn't wrap up yeah. before the bell because yeah. the teacher is well aware of the fact that the class is 60 minutes or 75 minutes or whatever, but they are never just starting to ask a question when the bell rings ever in the history of yeah. actual school, but 
in every show and in every movie, that is how every class ends, is with the teacher being surprised by the bell when they've just started some new, like, point of inquiry or whatever. Yeah. It makes me crazy. Because in the context of this scene, he starts the unit on the Odyssey 45 seconds before the bell, right? Yeah. He starts it yeah. by asking if anyone has read it, right? Like, so what was he doing for the other 59 and a half minutes did we'll, they just wrap up another book? And, yeah, maybe. And he was like, oh, was I'm a like, minute short on this. I'm just going to start yeah, I'm going to keep Odyssey. going. That's right. I mean, okay, again, he's given up coffee. Maybe he's just out of his mind right now and just like a blind internal panic. Uh, but we just don't know. Uh, meanwhile, outside Jordan, so one of Angela, Angela, when she decided to Oh, we look, forgot uh, to mention that Jordan's internal monologue was that he had forgotten oh, it was New Year's. I which did is forget wonderful that. and perfect. It is a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I have to say, I was pretty harsh on Jordan for the first half of the series because I... Uh, am jealous of him and I hate him. I really do start to like Jordan a lot at the back half of the series, even though his behavior in a lot of ways becomes more and more reprehensible. Um, I do find that he's actually developing as a character and as a person in a way that a lot of the other characters, you know, he, he he's catching up to the others very rapidly. Yeah, and I like I that about him. Totally agree. And I'm warming up to him more and more. And I feel like in his simple dumb way he's actually arriving at some really like nice sensitive you know moments yeah. and having like interesting self-realizations and actually would have probably become one of the most interesting characters if the show had continued on mm -hmm. longer um and it's an interesting slow evolution that i don't think that i noticed the first time around when i watched the show but watching it this time i feel like oh he went from just being like a an amorphous mass of dumb cuteness mm -hmm. uh, to being like a guy I have a lot of sympathy for actually, even though he still makes dumb decisions a lot and doesn't always do the right thing. But now I feel like he's a real human. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's sort of, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit as we go into next week's episode as well, because I think the two do work together in terms of Jordan, but he's beginning to become aware of the fact that he actually has a strong emotional relationship with Angela. Yeah. He doesn't really understand what the fuck that is. Um, and yeah. in this one, like, but it's starting to come out. So here, you know, Angela's doing his homework, which is where she landed at the end of the resolution scene is that she was like, I got to stop doing this guy's homework. Yeah. And, and so she's doing his homework while he's just lying on the back of his car, looking at the sky. So it's, you know, it's, but then he realizes that, that that's actually not appropriate anymore, that because they are just friends, that their relationship has changed. Um, it's weird that he's like, if you were my girlfriend, I'd be fine with you doing yeah. my homework. But because you can take advantage friend, of girlfriends. But yeah, yeah, friends, you have to yeah. show a little more respect and restraint. Yeah, absolutely. But it's weird. I kind of read it as kind of him beginning to realize that he regrets that they're not together. Yeah. Anymore. Not because not in a not in a self serving way where he wants someone to do his homework, but sort of like he's he's aware that they've crossed over this boundary line in his head, and he's like, oh. It's not the same anymore. I, I don't like that. Yeah, totally. Know? And totally. that's kind of sweet in a, the dumbest possible way. It is. And it's funny that uh, Angela makes some remark about keeping her resolution. But like really, yeah. she didn't no. keep her resolution at all. Jordan just happened to arrive at the same conclusion that mm -hmm. her resolution was about and made her stop. Yeah. But 
No, wise of blue course hairs. not. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of dumb people, we also now have a moment with Kyle. Sharon is ducking Kyle, so they had their sex on New Year's Eve, and now she doesn't want to be around him. She hides in a, a classroom where Rayanne is making out with a guy in a bowler for some reason. And and it's Kyle. Why not? Why not? And then as, as I was saying, it's Kyle who's now he's all emotionally involved with Sharon. Like, I mean, in whatever limited geography, emotional geography a Kyle can be, quote unquote, in love, he's decided that he's in love with Sharon. It's really interesting how this show, uh, like this show really is kind to dumb guys, but in a way that is like good. Yes. Because I do feel like there's a way to be kind to dumb guys in a, in a bad way, Mm -hmm. like by excusing their dumbness and by making it seem like it's charming for them to make stupid decisions and be bad to their girlfriends, et cetera. Um, but this show I think has more empathy, shows more empathy toward them and their, uh, I don't know, simple desires and, and attempts to navigate the world of romance. Yeah. Like it's, it, I kind of, I like the Kyle and Jordan counterpoint of like dumb, but cool in their own yeah. way in, in quotation marks, cool the, dudes who are like coming around to an emotional complexity within themselves that they perhaps were not aware of being capable of. Right. The The show is, I think really good. The writing has been really good at sort of establishing what everybody's, uh, for lack of a better word, tragic flaw is, mm-hmm. you know, like they all have a tragic flaw and, and it's not nice to say, but really Jordan and Kyle's tragic flaws is that they're pretty stupid, <laughs> that they have like kind of limits of what they can mentally articulate for themselves or for anybody else. But the show isn't mean to them about that. It's just sort of like, no, imagine if you, you lived in this tiny little fenced in area and you just, someone pointed out that there's a mountain over there. You know, yeah. and you're, they're just like, holy shit, like I'll never, I can't get there. I'm in this tiny little fenced in area. What am I going to do? And one of the things that's, you know, the, for, I mean, Kyle is kind of just a, a, a the basis for a joke in this episode because uh, obviously we focus more on Sharon, which we should do because she's our one of our principal characters. But but Jordan, there he takes a level of agency now going into the end of the show that is first of all, astonishing, because you would not even, even five episodes ago, you wouldn't have thought he would have the self-awareness to be okay with Angela signing him up for tutoring. Yeah, he's actually growing as a yeah, person. Yeah, <laughs> but here he's like, he would never have done it himself, and it probably never even would have occurred to him, but now that it's done, he's not angry, he's not going to put a stop to it, he's like, oh shit, that's a good idea, I need that. Yeah. You know, that will help my life not be so shitty. Yeah. And that's why I feel this begin this this kindling of empathy <laughs> for Jordan, which is not anywhere I wanted to be in my life. But here we are. <laughs> um so Graham breaks up with Hallie Lowenthal and Hallie Lowenthal I mean breaks up with the restaurant idea of Hallie right. Lowenthal. But of course Hallie being Hallie is just like awesome. Now you're not personally involved. You can help me evaluate the potential of this this space in downtown Pittsburgh near the docks, I think she said it was where she has a, a working fountain and not much else. Why do you need a fountain in a restaurant? Uh, it looks cool. I guess. I guess. Is it like a a comedically fancy Italian or Greek restaurant? Yeah. Yep. That's what I imagine when I imagine a fountain in the middle of a dining room. But uh, Yeah, I, I don't I, we, there's not a lot of information given about what the I mean, I don't know, was this maybe from the era where a restaurant didn't really need to have a concept? 
<laughs> you know, Maybe. like a restaurant could just be a place where somebody who's good at cooking prepares food for you that you pay for and then leave. I don't know. Like, it seems like that time has passed. And now I'm thinking of stuff like the restaurant where you are blindfolded and the restaurant where, you, right. know, like where it's, you know, you need something bigger than just, hey, this guy can cook. Let's cook. I don't know. I'm not a restaurateur or restaurantrice, as the case may <laughs> as be. As the case may yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, she does imagine a dance floor, though, when they go there. Yeah. Which is weird. Weird. Like, is, it a re- is it a is bar it an grill? Old, old-timey restaurant old-timey. where there is a live band and people slow dance between courses? Yeah. Perhaps. Yep. Um, so Ricky, uh, as we mentioned, leaves the Chase's house, and they are obviously very surprised and alarmed by this because he does just basically blow out the door. He's like, everything's fine. Bye. Um, the Chase's don't really you know, do anything about this. Uh, my assumption is that Ricky actually goes and sleeps at school for the next couple of nights because he's there very early in the morning. He's, you know, like where else could he possibly be going, I suppose? Like it is the middle of winter. Yeah. Um. So Angela's also kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Rayanne is apparently worried about him, but we don't see that. It's off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela's obviously, like I said, signs Jordan up for, for tutoring. And then we get to my very favorite friendship on the show, as we've discussed before, which is Rayanne and Sharon who are in their gym class, and and Sharon mentions that the reason she had sex with Kyle is because they were watching A River Runs Through It. So she basically had a strong lust response to Brad Pitt. Kyle was there. I wonder why Kyle was there, but I digress. And, um, and, and they have sex. And then she says something that's a little odd, given what we know about Sharon's relatively uh, positive sense of sexuality thus far. She says that she had a much better time than she usually does having sex with with Kyle because of the river runs through it connection or because or because of the lack of emotional connection relationship anymore yeah um well yeah because uh there was a previous episode when I can't remember which one when Sharon discusses um having sex with Kyle where she laments the fact that it becomes sort of expected mm-hmm. you know once you do it you can't undo it and uh it sort of doesn't matter anymore if you're in the mood and i feel like maybe sex had become kind of a drag for her in her, in her actual dating relationship with kyle yeah but now that there's no strings attached she's able to enjoy herself and then feel bad about it because she wants to be in love and etc and all of these yeah. you know things that we feel about you know, when we shouldn't, shouldn't have sex, but, uh, the actual physical act of it is, uh, there's way less pressure and way less expectations than there were before. So she's probably able to let go and have more fun. Yeah. What we, what it comes down to here is that basically this, the, the Sharon storyline here is about Sharon, uh, developing a sex drive that is her own. Yeah. That is not actually related to what relationship she is in. It's basically about her own sexual desire. This episode is really like basically Sharon needs to learn how to masturbate. Like if she doesn't (laughs) know how to do it already, she's got to figure that out. Because like what it comes down to is she's realizing she has her own uh, yearnings and interests and that they don't necessarily have anything to do with what she has traditionally enclosed that idea within, which is being in a stable relationship with someone that you love. Exactly. She only understands sexuality in the context of being with someone that you love. Yeah, yeah. And so it do, her uh, urges and desires don't match up with her idea of how it should be. Yeah. And she feels conflicted about that. Mm-hmm. But probably she should just 
cool out and have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Which thankfully I think is where things go towards the tail end of this. Um, meanwhile, so how, here's something that's interesting. So Graham visits the space, got the rest the fountain that we talked about. And then she actually pins Graham down on an opinion which is not something we see a lot of characters ever actually successfully do in this show. True. Graham likes to prevaricate. He likes to kind of dance around how he actually thinks. He doesn't really like to commit to anything in words. And Hallie quite cleverly sort of just boxes him in and gets him to tell her what he actually thinks, which is one of the areas where, I mean, believe me, I am entirely pro Patty Graham as a relationship. I've never wanted to see Graham cheat, but it's like it's one of those things where, oh, he's getting more out of this than just, you know, sexual attraction or anything else, like they actually work together as a pair in a way that that Graham does not work with many people. She's able to bring things out of him that a lot of other people aren't. And maybe it comes out as, you know, massive aggravation, which we'll discuss more in the following episode. But, it, you know, it, 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 there is something there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And then meanwhile, back home, uh, Patty is talking to Neil about AV equipment. And Neil is awful, just awful at covering or behaving in, behaving in any normal way about his brother having any kind of relationship, platonic or otherwise, with this woman. Yeah. Like embarrassingly terrible. So terrible. Yeah. And I can't, I can't honestly tell if he doesn't, he's never spoken to Graham about Hallie, if he's so dumb that he's, again, another dumb guy, he's just forgotten about Hallie, if he thinks that Hallie is the person that Graham had the potential affair with at the beginning of the season. Like, I mean, it's completely unclear, but whatever it is, he makes Patty very nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in some sort of bungled attempt to, uh, be nonchalant (laughs) and, or, uh, brush off, uh, what perhaps he thought that Patty was fishing for information about Graham and a woman and not just making an actual offhand remark about it. Uh, but in what seemed like maybe it was an attempt to, brush off the subject he in fact makes it way worse and makes patty much more suspicious than she was when they started talking about it yeah and patty's making a real effort in this episode to be super cool with hallie lowenthal yes like whatever she feels about graham whatever suspicions she has she's really cool about hallie when she talks with his brother she's really cool when she's like camille immediately hates her and immediately mm-hmm. is like really yeah that won't well, you're letting that woman near your husband but Pretty sure that's next episode. It's okay. We're doing both today. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I've been trying to like remember it's, which part it's hard happened. Hard to keep track when we yeah. uh, when I watch the yeah. back to back. It yeah. all blurs together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the point is like other people around Patty are less are outwardly seem mm. more suspicious of this relationship than she is. She's actually trying to be sort of calm about it all. I mean, maybe she didn't think that the restaurant was a good idea or or whatever her relationship to Graham's professional ambitions is, has, you know, kind of a rocky one anyway. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now now she's got real suspicions. Yeah. Now now it's happening. And there's something, I mean, sweetly idealistic about the way Patty thinks about Hallie, which is, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the things that uh, plagues all of us in heterosexual society is the question of can men and women just be friends? And generally speaking, when you are in a relationship with somebody and and then someone of the opposite sex becomes your very close friend uh, suddenly, there are, you know, the people around you will be like, what the fuck's going on? Like, what is this? You know, like trying to classify it in some way where they just kind of, 
want to make sure or have their concerns or, you know, like, are we sure nobody here is thinking about this thing with that person, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's, there's a lot of pressure against platonic heterosexual relationships. For sure. And and I think that it's, and it's, but it's specifically pressure about new such relationships. Yes. Right. I mean, I know plenty of people who are in, you know, who are married or who ha- or in long-term relationships who have best buddies of the opposite sex from before Mm -hmm. and it i don't know any such couples where that's a problem you know what i mean like people people don't think that it's an issue unless you have a tremendously jealous uh, partner Um, yeah if you have Uh, a tremendously jealous partner then of course lots of things can be an issue but in a in a generally healthy relationship if you you know it's like oh i have some close friends i've been friends with them for years some of them are men it's you know and so and some of them have partners and some don't and whatever it's not like I feel like that's not a problem with most people but when you meet a new person or suddenly start hanging out with a new person or even if it's an old person who you didn't we didn't used to be close to or whatever mm-hmm. I feel like there's cause for questioning if not concern sure frequently and in the case of someone like Graham perhaps suspicion because perhaps it's not the first time right so now we we see the beginning of the last great relationship of my so-called life which is jordan catalano and brain krakow Uh, are you brain are you brain (laughs) it's so good god bless him i mean god bless everyone there because i don't know whose idea it was but this is one of those kind of kismet serendipity moments writing a show where it's like jordan's dyslexic brian's name is brian Brian is the brain. Brian can be respelled as brain. Like it's like, if they set that up intentionally, God bless them. But even if they didn't, watching the dominoes knock down in that straight of an order that successfully is like, oh, that is a Babe Ruth point at your shot in the stands moment right there. So good. Oh, so good. I would love to know how soon. How, if before they wrote this episode, they even thought that was a possibility, or if that just like came out in the moment of like, well. He would think his name was Brain. Some sort of writer's room magic. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. So I love it because, again, it doesn't do much to develop Brian, although a little, but it develops Jordan in such a nice way within the context of Jordan where, where they're at their tutoring thing and this this other sophomore girl comes over and asks for Brian's pencil or something. Anyway, um, and Jordan... She asks for like his eraser. Yeah, I think. And, and Jordan just knows from looking that she's interested in Brian and because he doesn't have a dog in this fight and also he's obviously very experienced, he can just walk over to her and ask for her number and, and Brian and Jordan can tutor Brian in the ways of love where Brian can tutor Jordan in the ways of English. It's a beautiful thing. And it stops Brian from like getting out of the tutoring relationship, which he is actively trying to do when Jordan's like, Hey, that girl. Yeah she would sleep with you oh it's so beautiful and i it's cute it's just cute it's adorable you know I, I, yeah i don't know if jordan was smoking a whole bunch of weed up till now and just stopped because suddenly he just sort of seems more aware of what's going on around him than he has in a very long time you know what i mean yeah 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 it's i i like the glimpses of jordan as a caring person like when he looks out for ricky when yeah. he like n- not just notices how the girl might be looking at Brian, but also like obviously notices that this is help that Brian needs. needs. Like it's, it's really sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. So again, <laughs> I don't know why Jordan's my favorite character in this episode, but he kind of is. 
Um, so we learn that the Ricky's aunt and uncle have left and, 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 and Mr. Katinsky, like I said, basically, so here's in terms of development, we've talked a lot in the past about how characters on my so-called life tend to lie until the absolute last minute. Uh, Ricky finally, thank God, doesn't actually do that. Admits to Mr. Katinsky that he doesn't have anywhere to sleep. So Mr. Katinsky engages Ms. Krasinski, showrunner Winnie Holtzman to help him out. Um, but it's going to take a really long time to get him to a place that isn't completely shitty, um, which is totally fine. So Ricky goes back out into the, he goes to a place that's shitty and then he runs away from that. So Mr. Katimsky goes over to the Chase's house and proceeds to, on an emotional level anyway, set the place on fire, which is so good. It's so good. So he's several days out of his coffee uh, addiction. He's basically strung out and he- A little testy. A little testy. He's still Mr. Katimsky, so he can barely speak in a normal fashion at the best of times. Like he's already very random and all over the place in his discourse. And then he freaks out at Patty. <laughs> Which makes her cry. <laughs> Which makes Patty cry. And when Graham is just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, and he just, be- like, he's, who are you? It's like my favorite, that's my favorite Graham moment, maybe ever. Like Graham is just trying to put the fire out. And he doesn't even understand why anything is on fire, but he's just like, this is insane. Like what happened in the last. 30 seconds and who is this person yeah like how how could this be going on yeah i love this scene and and he's not wrong to yell at them because why didn't they do anything i mean they took ricky in which was wonderful but they didn't make any efforts to address the long-term uh issue of his you know life yeah (laughs) and also didn't really follow up after he left like to make sure that things were indeed okay at home yeah uh they just kind of moved on to other chase household issues which is fine life goes on and people have their own problems but kind of not fine if you've just spent a week taking in this kid this foundling and yeah and then he takes off under kind of weird circumstances maybe check in yeah exactly you know yeah i mean it's 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 interesting the i I wonder if i wonder if it's a type of personality thing or if it's like a white middle class type thing but this this desire to just sort of take people at their word you know that if someone says oh i'm fine i've sorted it out you know, you don't press them on it. You don't be like, can you show me the documentation that proves that you're going back into this household? You know, you just sort of say, okay, I'm going to take you at your word. Maybe it's the same impulse that tells them they're not supposed to call, call other, other kids' parents. Yeah. And like, it's like a weird non-meddling impulse mm-hmm. that, yeah, that I think is probably a white middle class impulse because I don't, like, my family does not have that impulse. Mm-hmm. But we are, you know... Yeah, meddlesome East Europeans. Oh, you know what I mean. Like I don't. I feel like that is kind of a wasp thing. Like not wanting to like upset people, not wanting to create conflict, not wanting to. Oh yeah. Like get in people's faces. Like that is not. There are cultures that are all about getting in your face and would absolutely never Mm -hmm. fail to ask an uncomfortable question. But I feel like the chases are of the opposite culture. Well, I mean, I I I consistently receive feedback at work that uh, I'm. A wasp in this case, because I I also I just take people at their word, and often it gets me into trouble. Where you know I'm I'm not asking the tougher questions, and then I'm not getting to the bottom of the problem. Um, so shit, I gotta look at that. I gotta look at my white middle class privilege bullshit. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so we have to tie off uh, the Patty Graham Halley trifecta for this episode, which basically is two more scenes. The first is where Graham goes to admit to Patty that he wants to do the restaurant. And Patty flat out thinks he's about to tell her that he's having an affair. Yeah, he, it's super, super clear and obvious. Yeah, 
that that is what she thinks. Yeah. And she's incredibly relieved when he starts talking about the restaurant. And then he's like, wait, what did you think I was going to say? Because he apparently is an idiot, is an idiot, yeah. and is not aware of the fact that his wife obviously thought that he was going to admit to something much worse than yeah. wanting to start a restaurant. Yeah, I think Graham, we're beginning to learn, like Gr- Patty gave Graham an enormous amount of agency about halfway through this season where she was like, go figure out your thing. And he went off and he did that. And that's good. But Graham still apparently has a fundamental inability to actually be real with himself about what he's repressing, right? It's taken him basically two full episodes to arrive at the fact that he wants to do this restaurant, which anybody would have been like from moment one, clearly this is what you want to do. Is Graham just the next generation of sympathetic dumb guy on this show? Whoa. I'd never thought that before. Whoa. But maybe. Maybe. Because Graham certainly doesn't come across as dumb, but you're right. Maybe like with 25 years further evolution, Graham was a Brian or a Jordan or a Kyle, like just that fenced in in some area of his understanding. Because then the other thing is that obviously he's been basically wrestling with the restaurant this whole time, which means that he hasn't even noticed that underneath that there's the sexual tension with Hallie. Yeah. Right. Like right now, I think Graham is only peripherally aware of the problematic nature of his. I mean, he knows en- enough to have a resolution about not having talks with her after class. Yeah. But he's so busy being freaked about whether or not he should try the restaurant thing that he hasn't even started to deal with whether or not he is interested in cheating on his wife. Yeah, I think you're right. You know. Um, and then uh, we'll get to the Ricky stuff in a minute. But then the last scene that ties off uh, uh, Graham is the uh, the nightmare thunderstorm scene where he goes to the restaurant space and learns that Hallie has broken up with her fiance Brad or rather he has broken up he with has her. broken up with her um, because we've we've heard all the way through this episode that Brad had a number of theories about Graham and here at the very last one Hallie says he had a theory about you actually this was a theory about me she never says what the theory was the theory was obviously that Hallie wants to have sex with Graham Chase and that's why he left. The only person in this whole scenario, off screen, we've met him once, who kind of just figured out the whole problem and did something about it, was Brad. Yeah. Brad is the only guy who got his shit together regarding this mess of a relationship. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, that scene was uh, one that made me real, because I remember a couple of episodes ago, you were talking about how you would so harshly judge Hallie Lowenthal in your teenage years, Yeah, and how you now saw her in a different and, and more... Uh, positive light perhaps and uh, i was thinking that this scene was really the crux of that pivot mental pivot for Mm -hmm. me because i also really did not view her in a positive light back in the day and watching it now and regardless of what happened hey no spoilers for those of you watching Mm -hmm. uh my so-called life for the first time what are you why would you do that (laughs) but anyway why would you be listening to this show why are you here this seems (laughs) interesting just in case for that one person out there who just loves the sounds of our voices and uh (laughs) doesn't know how this uh season resolves um you know regardless of what happens between the two of them she is a single person now yeah like she's not like i thought of her in my mind as this like negative influence on the you know, chase family happiness or whatever. But in reality, she has feelings for Graham. She's not engaged anymore. She's not the one who's really doing anything all that wrong. I mean, we can certainly debate what the moral, like where the responsibility lies in not 
doing something that maybe you shouldn't do such as having an affair with a married person but ultimately he's the one yeah who's breaking vows she is not mm-hmm. she is free to do whatever the hell she wants because she is a single person yeah she doesn't have a fiance to cheat on anymore and graham's the one with the problem <laughs> yeah graham's <laughs> right? absolutely like, the one with she, the problem. Yeah. he's the one with the problem she might be making poor choices in her life as well and maybe having an affair with a married man is not like the greatest way to come out of a you know engagement Mm -hmm. but uh he's definitely the one with the problem and i think that when i watched it when i was a teenager i really saw her as this like negative home-wrecking influence and I don't see her that way anymore. No, I don't either. I mean, I still see her as a bit of a human disaster. For sure. Where it's like, you know, I I, I am certainly in my own life guilty of finding that particular energy that a Hallie Lowenthal represents very romantic and interesting at the start and maybe carrying that too far. <laughs> because at the end of the day, relationships, I can say with a lot of experience, they de- just generally work better with people who have their shit together. Yes. And this woman even though she has her shit together in some areas, like the ability to write a prospectus, um, she doesn't have her shit together in others. So she really is, she would not be good for Graham if they were both unattached and became, you know, a couple. I don't think that would be a good couple because she's just a little bit too much fire and brimstone chaos. Totally, and he is not enough of a stabilizing influence for that to be a great marriage of options. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not the kind of person he is, ultimately. Like right. there, are, there are people who could be good for Hallie Lowenthal and vice versa. She would bring a little sparkle into their life, but they would ultimately ground her, but Graham's not that guy. No. Um, but but having said that, I mean, I, she may, I may think of her as a walking disaster, but, you know, she's not... She's not an antagonist, you know? She's not a villain. When I was a teenager, I saw her as, like, this villain. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, there's no malice in her disasterhood. Like, she she is a mess. Yeah. But she's not an evil mess. That's right. (laughs) She's not actually, yeah, she's not a villain. And I totally saw her as one. And now I'm like, no, she's just, like, a person who hasn't sorted out her shit yet. Lord knows. Uh, you know, yeah. neither is an, Graham yeah, to an extent, is neither is Patty. Exactly. Like, like that's a pretty common affliction. Yeah. You know, being over the age of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't automatically mean you've got all of your ducks in a row. She's just, yeah, she's just a little tornado of, you know, frantic, but charming energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's not bad. No, she's not an evil no. force. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then the final the final tie-off of the episode is that that uh, Ricky calls Mr. Katimski at home, which is a thing you used to be able to actually do because you'd go through the phone book until you got to the case, and then you'd see the number for Richard Katimski, and you'd call it. And maybe then maybe this is the even sweeter part for later is that maybe the address would even be there. Like you could go see them. That's how we that's how free we used to be with our personal information. We'd just be like, sure, yeah, you can come by if you look me up. Their information is there. So he calls Mr. Katimski, and Mr. Katimski. Uh, basically backs off on inviting Ricky to stay. And we really find out the reason why is that Mr. Katimski is a gay man, which we kind of already knew, but, but, but now we now know, we know for real. sure. He has a live-in partner. Um, and as he, I think, quite rightly points out, this is a game-ending move from a career standpoint if from the outside someone were to find out that a teacher invited an underage student to live with him and his gay partner. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why that's 
I mean, let's not even bring gay into it, but the fact that all three of them are gay, obviously, in the mid-90s would make it substantially more inflammatory. Um, For sure. And yeah. I was trying to remember, I mean, there there was an openly gay teacher at my high school. Or I don't know if he was, I mean, he was... It's not like you ever found out about your teacher's personal lives really for the most part mm -hmm. anyway. I mean, there were some teachers who would talk about their personal lives or their families or who were a bit more chummy mm -hmm. with their students. But most, I feel like most teachers, I don't know if they were, if they had kids really? or if they were married. Like, I don't know. I didn't, it wasn't like a thing. There were one or two friendlier than average teachers who, you know, I feel like revealed more about their personal mm. lives or whatever. Um, so, you know, there may have been other openly gay teachers at my school that I just didn't know were gay because why would I know anything about their personal lives? But mm -hmm. I, you know, but one of my favorite drama teachers was like, I remember the year that I graduated, um, which was the first year that I went to TIFF. Um, I ran into him in the lineup for tickets back oh. in the olden days when you still had to line up just to put in your like request for, Your the, picks, for yeah. the random lottery oh the good you know, old days the old lining up at 6 a.m days yeah and uh yeah but i ran into him and, and his partner in the lineup and it was like to, like i wasn't surprised that he was there with his male partner because i knew from like it was just like a known right. totally ordinary fact but uh you know but i went to like a you know weird art school where everything was kind of more liberal than average and i i was trying to remember whether like, was 1994 a time when it would have been a problem for a teacher to be openly gay? Maybe not in downtown Toronto, but, like, in a smaller community I, or I mean, in, in I Pittsburgh, don't know. which is not really small. Like, would that have been an issue just in and of itself? Like, is it a problem? Like, is he out to his coworkers was I, my question. I doubt he's myself. out to his coworkers, And I do think it would be. I mean, like, given how there is this weird line in a lot of people's minds, a lot of conservative minds between homosexuality and pedophilia yes i think that that's still and especially given that we are talking about a time when you know we were at the height of the aids crisis and there was a lot of focus on homosexuality a, a lot of hysteria yeah I, I i don't know that it would have been in any teacher in america's best interest to be an out gay man in 1994 i may be wrong yeah, but, but no, but that's but my we didn't impression have any... as well. Like, I don't remember because I wasn't thinking about it in these terms when I was 16 years old. Yeah. Um, but so I don't remember just how how difficult that was in that context at the time. Like, how difficult it would have been to be openly gay as a teacher and whether it would have been actually, like, mm -hmm. a problem that, that still in 1994 people were forced to hide. Probably, yeah. Probably, like things weren't, things haven't gotten that much better that fast. Like, yeah. you know that. I mean, that was only like twenty-ish years ago, but twenty years is a long time in the context of gay rights. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I, it actually is. Honestly, I a hope long so. Time. I hope <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I, I hope. So hope too. I hope we've come that far, and 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 some of those connections have started to break down. You know, because I'm sure that there are still communities like in more conservative parts of the states, for example, where it's a problem to mm -hmm. be out and gay and, and a, any kind of a community, you know, leader or youth worker or whatever. And that's horrible. But mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I really str I struggled to remember exactly what the context was in the 90s in terms of because I felt like it was like growing up at that time. I felt like it was the beginnings of it being OK for like someone to come out at school mm -hmm. or whatever. Like it was the beginnings of 
sort of people publicly opening up and talking about being gay and be like, like when did Ellen come out on her show? Like when were That's those That's a good things? question. I can't remember. In the 90s probably. But it was like, not, yeah. like the 90s were the time of people being like, oh, by the way, we exist. Yeah. <laughs> We've been here this whole time. We just couldn't say it before and that's fucked up and here we are so it's like but it felt like the very beginnings of that outside of i don't know Mm -hmm. like in in a in a very mainstream kind of context so yeah so anyway beyond that clearly problematic for any teacher of any sexual orientation to just like let a student live with them yeah (laughs) like you can't just take in teenagers it looks weird no matter what um I mean, it's now been documented because he went to, you know, the guidance counselor to say this kid doesn't have a place to live. So it's not, you know, he needs to be taken in by someone. It's mm-hmm. not totally out of the blue. It's known that there is an issue. Yeah. Um, but still a weird thing to yeah. do. A difficult decision to make could go very poorly for yeah. his, his career and so on. For sure. And yet in the context of the show, I mean, it is the, the final scene of the episode is Ricky showing up in tears and, and being taken in. Mm-hmm. And in the context of the show, it's seen as a very positive thing I, I, in terms of Ricky's uh, journey towards figuring himself out and starting to get a handle on his identity. I think it's probably the most significant step that he makes, which is that he, as we spoke about a few episodes ago, he finally finds his people yeah. to whatever extent. Like he discovers that, yes, there are other people that are kind of like him. And, you know, that might be useful for him in the weeks and months to come. For sure. And I think in the context of the, sh- like, I think that what the show is saying is, yes, this is a problematic and difficult relation, like a problematic and difficult decision uh, to make, but it's the right thing to do. Right. Taking him in is the right thing to do. Like, yeah. Unambiguously on a, some kind of moral level or whatever, it is correct to shelter this, like, lost child (laughs) from the storm of his life uh there there could be fallout from that that is not good for whoever but it is still ultimately the right thing to do yeah exactly uh so that's uh that's that that's the episode um big one for ricky obviously kind Mm -hmm. of and as i've been saying i guess big one for jordan i'm suddenly all about jordan so I, i guess i finally got it ladies our boy has also had a terrible terrible summer i mean he's just been beaten up left right and center for suicide squad so you know what maybe i'm just cutting him a little bit of a mental break you know you know like he's just he's not he's a he's a good doofus he's not a good joker that's just that's life did you see that little internet meme that was going around about him in that green jacket no it's like a picture of him at a uh fashion show where he's got the goofiest grin on his face while looking at a guy in a like a guy on the runway in a green jacket Mm -hmm. and then Next to it is a photo of him, like at, a, you know, a premiere or something, wearing the same jacket, mm-hmm. and it's really adorable. And oh. he apparently, like in some interview, was like, "Actually, I was making faces at my friend across the runway. Maybe you could, maybe it would be interesting to tell the truth instead of like, sorry to spoil your meme." It was like, oh, "Dude, it's like a cute, funny thing. Don't be a dork about it. Yep. <laughs> like, just let people have their fun. It's cute. Come yep. on." Well, he's a dork. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? So this episode aired on January 5th, 1995. So as is our natural tradition here on the show, we will read out our diaries from that day. Do you have an actual diary entry from this day or around this day? Uh, around this day. I actually, my, uh, I have a very disappointingly short, like one sentence diary entry from January 1st. Okay. 
Uh, and then the next one is, I believe, the exact date of the next episode. So I'm not going to skip okay. ahead. Okay, that's fine. Um, so mine will be kind of disappointing, but here it is. January 1st, 1995, 1.40 a.m. I'll write about Christmas and New Year's in the morning. I'm dead tired and I need some rest. Oh, Poor me. Poor you. Did you, do you even remember what you would have done for New Year's Eve that particular year? Or? I wouldn't have remembered, but it is revealed in the next uh, diary oh, entry spoilers. that I actually okay. uh, was grounded and, and spent New Year's with my family. Oh, <laughs> so fabulous. I don't even know why I'm tired. All right. Well, you had to spend your New Year's with your family. Exhausting, so right? That for any teenage girl would be difficult. All right. Mine's a whopper. And I almost feel bad about reading this, but, you know. It's what we signed up for. Whatever. Again, the teenage self-righteousness knows no bounds. One five ninety five Thursday. I guess I started putting in days of the week. Hmm. Cool. For a long time, I've been promising myself that one day when I was rich enough, I would buy this house from my parents to ensure that it would always be my home. Lately, with the collapse of the business, it's felt like I've been racing against the clock to go up and make my fortune. Today, I lost the race. My father owes $250,000 to the bank, and this house is how he's going to pay for it. I know that so many more have lost so much more than this, but I look around at all my possessions, uh, content that if I must be materialistic, I can know that 99.9% .9 of my materials will be going with me. I can even look at my brand spanking new room decoration and say that I can try again with the same colors. Did we talk about my room decoration last time? No. Okay, anyway. Uh, but when I look at my light-up light switch or the one original rainbow I left unpainted on my wall or the third-story view from which Mark's body, Tedrick's parachute, the Freedom Fleet, and countless G.I. Joe figures fell, I know that I'll never have them again. I feel like I've been kicked in the gut. 16 years, this has been my home. After this, I don't think I'll ever have a home again. This was where I became me no matter where I was born. Finally able to accept me, I must now lose the place where that me began. But that's not really what's bothering me because those th those are things I can carry with me. What I can't carry with me is the comfortability. Not a word. Uh, <laughs> but a great yeah, non-word. Yeah. Knowing precisely where everything is, how long it takes to go somewhere, how to open and close my goddamn door, how to step around the fucking creeks on the fucking floor, that's a lifetime of knowledge. Family solidarity be damned. If I didn't know better, I would say my father pulled this as a PR stunt to try to pull the family together. Homes are made by feelings, not the people or possessions in them. Aw. What the fuck? So didn't you didn't you tell me <laughs> a couple of episodes ago that you would like approach your home and say to yep. yourself, I hate this place? Yes, I did tell <laughs> you that. In these very years? You are correct. Good callback. And yet. And yet, all of this. I mean... What it comes down to is, obviously, I was very just angry at my father. I was angry at my father for most of my teenage years because of uh, a lot, a, a series of crises. Uh, one of which was the, the financial crisis that hit us in the recession. We never ended up selling that house. We oh, really? basically refinanced the house. And that's all that ever ended up happening. Oh, so, so this was just like this an was, alarmist response yeah, to a an alarmist rant is the way I think it needs to be put. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's as big of a deal as I obviously thought it was at the time. I do feel badly about it. It was obviously a terrible time in my father's life. It led to more terrible times to come. You know, like it was, and it's, it, I didn't get it. I was 16. I was just very self absorbed. But I'm disappointed with myself for the tone uh, herein. Also, it's it's hilarious how trivial some of the things that I, talk about like knowing how long it's going to take to get somewhere because you know the efficiency of knowing it's going to take 
38 seconds to get to the living room as opposed to 35. <laughs> it's just, that's integral to a life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I should, you know, in the, in the, in the name of being fair and, and, and not being a total asshole, it's not like my dad owed a quarter of a million dollars to the bank because he was bad at anything. One of his creditors at his business ripped the business off for a million four and Ouch. fucking vanished. So no kidding, my dad owed some money to the bank. That's, you know, that's what happens when people do that. And But did I see it from that standpoint? No, it was my dad broke the home to try to bring us all together, which is insane, by the way. <laughs> that, that's an insane idea. That is a little crazy. Yeah. I found the uh, jacket meme. I just want to show it to you. <laughs> well, that's lovely. Isn't that a cute face? Yeah, that He's is just very so happy. cute. Yep, yep, great stuff. Maybe that's how he got the role as the Joker. <laughs> so that's the end of uh, resolutions. And before we go, I suppose we should tell people the big news. Big news. The big news. Oh my God, guys. Okay, so this is a big deal. Um, so we do have. Uh, only three episodes left after actually after this one, but we've been in the discussions phase for a little while now. We are going to do in October as our grand finale a live episode. Yes, and we're going to do it at the Royal here in in Toronto, the Royal Cinema, and we are going to do it with someone we've been speaking about quite a bit in the last uh, few episodes, which is Soraya Roberts, who just wrote this book. In my humble opinion, which is a book of essays about my so-called life. Uh, which, by the way, is just fantastic anyway, so I would be totally pumping that book regardless. But we're going to do this as kind of a, an, an official launch party for her book. So you can come, you can watch us do this live, which I know all 89 of you have been fantasizing about yeah. doing since episode one. Yep. And you can buy a copy of Soraya's wonderful book. Yep. And we might even watch an episode of My So-Called Life. I think we will probably watch an episode of My So-Called Life. I can say with certainty that we will read diaries. It may not be the diaries you expect. We'll try to get Soraya to bring some of hers. Oh, yes. Um, and I have it in my head, and tell me if you think this is a good idea, uh, instead of doing a traditional dress like your favorite character from My So-Called Life contest, uh, I believe someone said dance-off. So we have, I think it was Soraya herself actually said dance off. So I think we get some what is love pumping on the theater speakers and see if anyone's got the Ricky Vasquez moves. Ooh, that is, you know, you have thrown a gauntlet. I have. I, and God knows I don't. I cannot dance. I'm the worst. I'm incapable. But I would be very interested to see who can dance. Which character are you going to come dressed as? Uh, well, the heart says Angela Chase, but the brain says that's not going to work. <laughs> so in terms of clothes I actually own right now, I'm probably closest to Jordan, which is terrible. <laughs> it's not what I want. Aww. Oh, dear. Maybe I'll shave my beard and come as Graham. Whoa. 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 Heavy. Whoa. I mean, I guess I'd have to shave my beard for literally everybody. There are no bearded characters on this show. I could, yeah, maybe I'll come as Mr. Racine, wear two different colored socks. I don't know, man. There's so many options there. So many so options. Many options. Uh, anyway, so that is on October 22nd? October 22nd. Yep. yep. Um, check our Twitter feed. Uh, we will post a link to a Facebook invitation and yep. a place where you can grab advanced tickets because surely an event like this will it's sell, gonna sell out in, completely in out. seconds. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, grab them while you can. Yeah, and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. There will be fun. There will be prizes. There will be dancing. 
of some kind, either motivated or not. It will be the greatest. And we'll either humiliate ourselves or be amazing, as always. Why not both? Yeah, exactly. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can leave comments on this episode at modernsuperior.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MySoCastLife. And we will see you next time with the episode that is entitled Betrayal. of the Modern Superior Media Network.